Uh, I'm going to check to see if YouTube's getting our data. Excellent condition. What's going on, YouTube? What do you mean, what's going on? It says it's working. I'm talking to our viewers right now on YouTube. Oh, well, we haven't, I haven't clicked the go live button yet. Well, that's embarrassing for me. Now I'm going to have to repeat that. <laughs> oh, have you seen our YouTube videos lately? They're pretty hot. They have a little uh, icon in the bottom right corner. What does the icon mean? It says the podcast. Have you not, have you not seen this, Pierce? You've probably never looked at this. Uh, I've never subscribed. All right, it looks like you're ready. Click here to start streaming. I'm going to do that. Hold on, I'm checking my notes again. Sorry, I lied. We've started recording. We're about to enable the live stream. God damn it. Do we need to do another open apple tea? No. You don't think so? Nope. And we're live. Hey, what's up, YouTube? Hey, Pierce, how you doing? Good, Dave. How are you doing? Not so bad. Uh, we, took a, we took a week off. But uh, we're trying to figure out how to do this again. Yeah, honestly, it's been more difficult than I remember. And we had one episode where we definitely uh, didn't record for 40 minutes. Well, okay. One of us did not record for, for I think it was 30 minutes or so. But, we, we don't um, want to name any names, but Dave feels very bad about it. We moved, we, we're moving past that. <laughs> I feel really bad that I had to say the damn same damn things over again. That's what I feel, feel bad about. We also screwed the intro up, not me personally, uh, a few times. Uh, that's okay, too. Before we get into this, do you have anything you want to talk about? Any follow-up? Anything like that? Uh, you know, I should have some notes for that, but I'm going to check the show notes from last week, from our last episode and see if anything jogs my memory. You can't have running show notes for this episode already, right? <laughs> no, no, not, not quite yet. All right, so just for all of our listeners, I want you to make sure you're checking out the website. That's at the-podcast.org. Again, the-podcast.org. Uh, there you're going to find all the very carefully curated show notes that uh, Pierce and I are really excited to put together for you all. Uh, we have pictures and links, uh, extra information that you don't get in the audio f uh, format only. So do check that out. That's because we're not-for-profit, right? The .org? Uh, we are presently not making a profit, that is correct. No, we're an organization of podcasters. You and I. <laughs> because we've been able to delay our taxes this year. Have you written your uh, microphone and podcasting equipment off yet? Uh, Pierce, I'm afraid I filed my taxes in March, maybe. Uh, and, and I paid them on time. Quite the fool. Uh, yeah. Didn't know I was such such a stupid person. I've been running all sorts of stuff off. We just ordered dinner tonight, and I'm like, business expense. <laughs> oh, because you need to, you know, it's a podcast expense. You needed to be, you know, f healthy and fed for the podcast. Oh, uh, a little, a little darker than that. Being alive these days just seems like a business. <laughs> um, it is, it is one that seems um, sometimes questionable. Um, Whoa. But I think... Uh, Easy there. Being alive seems questionable. No, no. I, in world, worldwide, uh, being alive is, is uh, touch and go for, for some people. Okay. <laughs> dark. Very dark. All right. So I guess, uh, you know, last, last time we talked about um, uh, our friend um, Bo Miles and, uh, and how he ate a bunch of beans and we ate some Nutella in our week off, let's say. Um, Last week, uh, I did make uh, two pounds of beans, 
Uh, and that was my primarily primary food uh, for dinner or whatnot um, for a whole week. And I will say that uh, that's a lot of beans. So uh, I do have a, a greater appreciation for the uh, um, the experience that Bo went through. Um, I mean, I did have you know some other food for lunch or or whatever, but black beans was uh, was dinner for for about a week. You didn't do any breakfast beans. I didn't do any breakfast beans. No, uh, I had all kinds of great ideas about making some you know scrambled eggs and 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 putting the beans in in a burrito or something. But uh, that never happened. I did. Uh, I did have some tortillas um, with the beans as like a, a bread, you know, like you would have with soup or whatever, or like a hearty stew kind of thing. So were you dunking the tortilla in the beans? Is that what was going on? Uh, I might have, but no. I mean, I think the the beans really required a spoon. It wasn't. Uh, it was not as adhesive, maybe as um, like refried beans or something. Were you were you folding the tortilla before you dunked it, or is it just? You laid it on top and kind of patted it into the bean juice. Uh, no, I uh, I toasted the uh, tortillas to warm them up. How toasted? Like frisbee status? Like fr- like frisbee status? Yeah, yeah. Could you throw it across the room? Oh, um, sure. But it, you know, it's the frisbee works because it, you know, is kind of the shape of a wing. And uh, these these tortillas, after uh, heating on the stove, didn't uh, didn't become you know concave. Um, to to support frisbee use, so they're more like a CD, I guess. They were what? Like a CD. Yeah, they 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 remained mostly mostly planar. Siri just butted in. Did she have something to add? She did. <laughs> when you said they were mostly planar, she goes, "Uh huh." Why do you think she uh, caught on to that? I don't know. It, did you change? You, well, we, you can't change your Siri activation word. No, no, but I did upgrade my uh, Siri OS, and I think they now, after WWDC, they detect uh, nerd alerts. Uh, do you do you mean your your uh, HomePod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said your Siri operating system. Yeah, yeah. Siri is a uh, over overused word in Apple. It means a lot of things, but I don't think it means operating system just yet. That'll be like if Apple made Skynet, it would be called Siri. I'm not sure about that. The um, I use my Siri mail a lot. It's HomePod OS. Is that barking at your house? Can you uh, can you hear my uh, very small six pound dog going absolutely crazy in the background? Just just a little. I wasn't sure uh, if it was your neighbor or um, if it was uh, Minion. No, no, that's that's Minion. And the uh, the greatest thing about this dog is she sleeps all day, especially when the delivery people come or people drop food off at your house. But if someone walks by the front door. Not up to the door, but like across the cul-de-sac. She's just like, you know what? I'm going in. I'm going in hard. <laughs> how how dare they not come and visit her? She feels slighted. That must be it. She's she's a tough dog. Don't get a chihuahua. I love this dog so much, but don't get a chihuahua. This is the, the peak <laughs> chihuahua of all time. And they're very problematic. Did I, I think I must have told you... Uh, my uh, one of my neighbors uh, seems to have uh, adopted a, a a puppy. Yeah, what kind of puppy was that? Uh, well, I think as far as I know, it's only a black dog. Um, maybe it's twelve to fifteen inches high at the shoulder. I I, I have to say that today I think I observed that it was male. <laughs> How closely did you inspect? <laughs> at a great distance. It's an impressive dog. No. Uh, no. We're going to leave it at that. 
I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> We're going to have to cut this out. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say it because I know you're not going to edit the podcast sufficiently, so no comment. I may just put a bleep in. It hadn't yet been fixed. I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, okay, so I think we're gonna, you know, uh, for this week, uh, we wanted to try something different. And so we don't really have anything special to talk about, so we're just gonna talk about some stuff. So, um, unless we recall ad hoc some YouTube video that we enjoyed, um, I think it's mostly gonna be just, uh, whatever. Although, now that I mention that, I do have some YouTube videos to to uh, to try to get people to watch, but oh, we can get to that whenever you want, Pierce. At the end, we can give you a, a YouTube shout-out uh, section. Oh, okay. That sounds good. You do love reading a list. <laughs> I do. That is uh, one of my favorite pastimes. So one of, the, one of the biggest things this week, I think, was, um, at least for us, WWDC, uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference, which is very Apple-centric. I would say it's 100% Apple-centric. And I guess maybe, what do you think, like 30% developer-centric? Do you think one out of three developers is impacted by Apple products at this point? Oh, you mean, so like, oh, in all software developers, like whether you're writing enterprise stuff or you're writing uh, web apps or if you're writing iPhone apps? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think even before everybody was writing um, iPhone apps, I think... Uh, I certainly saw a big swing of developers preferring the Mac as a platform, even if they weren't developing for the Apple platform itself. No, no, that's where I was going with that. Yeah, it it seems like not necessarily web developers or Apple developers, but developers in general. It seemed like the MacBook was the preferred platform for just general development in terms of ecosystem, uh, software compatibility, uh, open web type standards, that sort of thing. Or, or it could be, you know, the developers we know, we could, we could be in a bubble. Oh, that's 100% true, yeah. Of uh, Apple-favored favored, Apple favored developers. But yeah, you know, of course, the other thing is like, I don't know, not all those developers are, I mean, maybe they like the Mac or they've chosen the Mac as their development environment, but they might not, I don't know how many of them are tuning in to watch, you know, the WWDC keynote. Oh, I, I, I think maybe a third of the developers that use... Apple products really care other than the trackpad works and the uh, the screen's nice, right? I, I think that's a big allure, just the hardware aspect of it. And the OS is, um, while I think it, the OS is great, it's not offensive. Whereas Windows has traditionally been very um, opinionated. It's just everything that I've ever tried to do in Windows, I found awkward. And maybe it's because I like the, you know, the command line and the Windows before PowerShell and I guess I've never used PowerShell enough to, you know, learn how to use it. But PowerShell is kind of like the XML of um, <laughs> of text-based interfaces. So it's maybe philosophically correct, but awfully awkward and verbose to use. I think you're right on that. And I think that's where a lot of people fell into the Mac. It was just coincidental that Apple offered a real, you know, you could actually get a Bash shell, which is something you could only get in other environments outside of Windows and Mac OS. And at the right time in 2005, that was an extremely powerful thing, especially with transitioning the x86 architecture. It was all a perfect storm. And the thing that I kind of worry about after WWDC is it seems like for the Mac, this is a benefit. Like, okay, backstory. WWDC announced Apple's transitioning away from Intel architecture to their own architecture. And it's kind of going back to the situation where 
not everything's compiled for one architecture that everyone can share and agree on. And the way that um, maybe developers are gonna integrate with tools is not gonna align favorably overall for the ecosystem of Apple. And that's that's really going deep into the announcement and long-term Apple strategy. But it, it's kind of strange too, like thinking about maybe a third of all developers are using Apple products because it was just the easiest and best hardware solution and they were subsidized by you know, their company or maybe they splurged on a piece of hardware that they really loved. Yeah. I mean, it's true that like, I mean, as a personal purchase, you know, it was certainly more, it would be more expensive than something that could be sufficient to, to get the job done in, in a, you know, a PC, a Windows PC. Well, you know, you, you one of the things you mentioned when you talked about Apple's transition from uh, PowerPC to Intel and, and how that was kind of like the perfect storm for adopting, you know, bringing people into a Macintosh piece of hardware, even if they sometimes had to do something that wasn't you know, on a Mac, uh, if it was running Windows in a virtual machine or a Linux virtual machine, or what we do a lot today, we might use uh, Docker on the Mac, which really runs Linux that the Docker uh, processes talk to. Oh, I have some things to say about that too. I've been thinking about. Well, did you? Uh, I think we're probably going to talk about the same thing because, of course, did you listen to the the John Gruber talk show interview with uh, Craig and Greg? I did. I, I have a whole bunch of things to talk about that. Yeah. The because I think John Gruber actually said something about how, you know, this this use of Docker for, you know, essentially lightweight virtualization of of, of Linux uh, development projects so that you could test them locally on the Macintosh. That works today because everything you're writing is targeted at Intel. x86, yeah. x86, and the, uh, the Docker process is happy to run that just fine. But... When Craig was explaining, answering John's question about that, he said that the Docker daemon would be running ARM stuff. And so it's not quite the perfect, like, build it once, package it, and ship it into production model. You can have a Docker process where you you target different platforms, but that's that's not apparently what the plan is going forward for at least the way Craig described it. There there was something that was kind of lost, I think, in that explanation. I don't think Gruber really has the understanding of Docker necessarily. And the way that he was discussing it was very valid. The way he was conveying the concern was very valid. And the way that Craig was relaying that uh, concern was also very valid. But something that's very worrisome is that um, like Docker containers need to be built for ARM processors or specifically Apple Silicon we don't know what the difference between that and a standard ARM instruction set is going to be because they could just be like, well, we're not going to license the ARM instruction set. We're going to create our own assembly, right? Or our own actual hardware instruction set. And you don't necessarily know whether or not Rocket or no, no, not, not Rocket. What, shoot, what am I thinking of? What is the lightweight OS for um, for Docker? Uh, there's something called Rancher. Oh, there, there. There's another one. Anyway, there's, there are OSs specifically pared down for running in Docker containers. Who knows whether or not there's any real support for providing ARM-based Docker containers. Alpine. Alpine, yes. Are you, you're talking about the operating system, the, like the base image. So yes, there's Alpine Linux, which is a very stripped down uh, Linux distribution that's, that's well suited to be the base uh, of software you deploy in Docker. That's what you mean? Yes, yes. Or even like Debian or CentOS. I don't know what percentage of their market's going to be dedicated to supporting virtualization on ARM processors. 
I mean, there may be a market for it, but it's still a risk, right? That's what I think about, or that's what I'm concerned about. You know, it's something to consider as a developer uh, distributing two different Docker images that might not be that burdensome if you automate it, but something to think about, right? Well, my concern is you have to test it again. I mean, you can build a workflow around it and that that's great, but uh, that it does require testing. Of course, now Craig also said, you know, that including facilities, including Amazon might let you run that ARM-based uh, Docker image on ARM. You know, it's not something we've ever used uh, at least the not that I've used at work, Pierce, that there are Amazon machine types um, that are ARM-based. I mean, what do you think about the virtualization um, layer that they're building in? I guess that's um, specifically hardware virtualization at some level. Well, I think uh, I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch the State of the Union yet. So I think maybe you, they covered more of that there. That I think so maybe you're better suited to speak to what they've changed. But I know that just like uh, Windows has, you know, Hyper-V stuff inside the Windows operating system. Uh, Mac OS has some like hypervisor uh, API layer or something that's that makes it easier to write stuff that's going to be doing virtualization on the Mac. And I don't know how that's changed. When you say the hardware layer, I mean, that's that's a bunch of, you know, hard, uh, chip features to, to handle context switching between, uh, you know, to allow different operating systems to think that they have the whole CPU to themselves or whatever. The thing that I was kind of wondering is if you have your own custom developed processor that, that they're producing based on the way we know like FPGAs work, which are largely ARM based, they're all flashed with ARM instruction sets. There's no reason to think that maybe Apple couldn't do something similar and have a portion of a coprocessor be flashed with a translation layer for ARM to x86 instruction sets. Uh, oh, well, that's interesting. I guess you could dedicate some space in the system on a chip to providing hardware accelerated machine language translation. Uh, and they'd know what that was up front because, you know, they'd know the instruction set that was going to be targeting, the, you know, the primary, you know, processor in the system. They'd write it so that it works with a, you know, a given x86 compatible instruction set. And that's a that's a really good idea, Pierce. I guess it, it, when it's a one-to-one translation from one instruction to another, you know, that, that should be pretty straightforward. I think if you have to rewrite... Well, you know, the other thing we're suffering from here is we're switching from a complex instruction set to a risk, like a reduced complexity instruction set. So for any given Intel instruction, it may be several steps on the ARM platform. But I mean, I guess, you know, People are smart. They can figure that out. I, I mean, even watching the State of the Union, I wasn't paying 100% attention. I was doing other things, too. It was just background noise that I was really tuning into. The, the thing that I realized or was clear is they're not going to support any sort of Windows virtualization. So the idea that they could have hardware or soft hardware support for it, I guess that doesn't really support my thought of how they could actually support this, which I'm kind of puzzled by. Like, they, they could have a soft x86 you know processor on chip but like i don't know what their real motivation is you know it's telling that they really want to keep supporting linux virtualization and docker through hypervisor but i don't know why they wouldn't be able to do it for windows other than they're not they're just not interested in supporting device drivers and that might be the case well i guess it was apple was so if today on an intel based uh macintosh desktop or laptop or whatever uh, you can run Boot Camp, which is essentially, I guess, just a, a utility that helps you configure an alternative boot partition uh, and provides the drivers and helps you install them inside Windows, right? 
at the time when they introduced boot camp, I think BIOSes were still a thing and not um, shoot. What is it now? What is the uh, bootstrapping process for open mm, EFI extended firmware something? I don't. I think it does some magic instruction set and then loads a boot partition. But then Apple also has to fake out hardware drivers for their trackpad and stuff like that. Well, they just need to make them. I mean, whoever, I mean, they know what the hardware looks like. And, you know, somebody at Apple knows how to deal with Windows software, probably. I mean, don't they still make iTunes for Windows? I mean, I guess that's a different level than writing a device driver, but... Maybe their whole goal is they don't want to have an entire team supporting, you know, printer drivers or a keyboard input driver for windows that could potentially be 10,000 different types of machines and 10,000 different types of uh, hardware configurations. That is a lot of complexity to add on to Apple. Because- well, no, that's that's the problem that Microsoft has. Microsoft has to write windows to support, you know, hundreds of, di- well, I don't know, hundreds, uh, many different manufacturers, right? Whereas Apple is able to target their operating system against a very well-known set of hardware. So if if Apple needs to write a um, I don't know, a trackpad driver, Apple's going to say, okay, well, we have this many, let's say four different types of trackpads across our entire product line. That's probably pretty straightforward. Bootcamp is what people can do today, and that allows them to get the, the quote, you know, raw 100% performance of the hardware, right? There's no, there's no Macintosh, uh, Mac OS running underneath Windows when you do that. Um, but that's not going to be possible on these ARM-based, excuse me, these Apple Silicon-based uh, Mac computers because um, Windows, well, okay, they're, we're, we're talking about all these things that I've listened to other people talk about. but Just keep going. Just keep going. You're probably right. There is a version of Windows that, uh, that runs an ARM, so I guess there's a small chance that Microsoft could try to help make that work on, on the, these new Macs. Uh, but you won't be able to run the Intel version of Windows that everybody is is running today or would run on a, a PC today. That won't boot on on one of these Apple Silicon Macs. So uh, you could still run Windows inside uh, virtualization, uh, whether that's uh, VMware or Parallels or VirtualBox. So that's still a possibility. And I think that to to go to your point about all these different device drivers, then it's the virtualization layer's job to just make a generic, you know, trackpad appear in in to Windows and then map that to the to the Mac hardware, and and again that's still going to be that's not too difficult a job considering the number of places it has to work. You know, same thing with video drive video cards the the number of you know video cards that any Mac software or you know Windows running on a Mac piece of hardware would have to worry about is, is very small in comparison to the rest of the market. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing too with this announcement that I'm a bit concerned about, and we've talked about this before, is now that Apple has control over the processor, they're not necessarily constrain, uh, constrained to industry standards for like RAM or for any other bus. They could invent their own PCI bus or, you know, Right. Thunderbolt 3 is not a given anymore because that was an Intel thing that was tied directly into an Intel chipset. Uh, that's true. Um, now, I think it's been some time. I don't know. If, if you get a Mac Pro today, I guess you can buy third-party RAM and put it in there. You can, yes. I think that's really the only product 
you know, that Apple sells at the moment that, that does have any kind of expandability for, you know, a piece of hardware you'd buy from anyone but Apple. The Mac Pro, or no, the iMac, shoot, I'm going to get this wrong. I think some iMacs let you add RAM. Some iMacs you can upgrade, the uh, Mac Mini you can upgrade in terms of RAM and SSD, but you will lose the uh, T2 processor. Somewhere I heard something, and I'm going to get a detail wrong here, but there was... Um, Just own it. There was a process for swapping out, maybe it was in the Mac Pro, but something about getting more Apple-branded solid-state storage, getting it to work. There, There's some process that involved a different, like a second Mac uh, to do something because you had to interact with the the T2 security chip and somehow certify or authorize this this additional storage to be used with it did you listen to this do you know what i'm talking about i haven't heard that but good luck finding it for the show notes do i know what i'm talking about but (laughs) i can't wait that'll be a a good challenge for this weekend um i'll try to track that down just start by googling hot carl and i'm sure you'll find it i have learned not to type anything into google that you tell me to type into google pierce there was an incident at work the other day that I can't believe you did, despite me not saying, uh, despite me saying not to do it. Yeah. No, you said don't do it. Then you said do it, and then we went to Wikipedia, which you would think would be fine, <laughs> but Wikipedia was not fine. That's all we're gonna say about that. The worst of all things. It was awkward. Perhaps let's, you can put, put that in the show way. notes. I'm not putting that in the show notes. Hmm. And we're gonna check the explicit flag, but we're not gonna put that in the show notes. Dave, would you say it's a good time to buy a new Mac? Like if, if you knew anyone who were going to buy or bought a new Mac in the last week, do, would you have words for them? No, I, I think I think now's a fine time to buy a Mac uh, that you're going to use for the next, you know, uh, two to five years. You know, Apple is committed to continuing to support the hardware they have out there. Um, they would have a whole lot of upset people if um, they said, oh, next year, no more updates for you. Uh, so they've said they're going to support, you know, Intel stuff. Um, my understanding is they have some not yet released products that are still Intel based. So we're going to see. Uh, I think Apple's going to release a mix of Apple Silicon slash ARM uh, and Intel based uh, computer non iOS devices um, over the next, uh, at least over the next year, year and a half or something, uh, before we see them transition to only selling. Uh, their own CPU hardware. So I think it's a fine time for you, Pierce, to have bought a new computer. Why don't you tell us about this new computer you bought? Okay, well, call me out, put me on blast. Well, I think you kind of asked for it. Well, kind of set me up. Uh, I, te- I teed it up, yes, yes. Still Mary doesn't know. It's fine. Oh, oh. well, it's a good thing she doesn't listen to the podcast. So I brought it up because then I could be like, well, you would have known had you been paying attention to this third-party publication I do. Completely unrelated to our relationship. I, I purchased a, uh, a base Mac mini with uh, a gig of RAM and a Core i2 Duo. Core 2 Duo. <laughs> yeah. And a 2400 RPM hard drive and a, a modem. It has a modem, so it does... Oh, that's pretty cool. It does internet. So you could get online with that computer, is that right? Oh, yeah, it's running a IE for Mac. Uh, do, you use, do you use AOL as your internet service provider? I have this thing called ResEdit. Do you remember ResEdit? Uh, yes. Yeah. So you've changed the icon for... No, 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 no. Even, even more. So this is going back, harking in back to uh, 1997. Do you remember when Net Zero was introduced? That was like the original advertising for 
before the internet? Uh, so there was an internet service provider called Net Zero. That's right. And it was, you know, it's just a normal dial-in provider uh, alternate to like, I don't know, all the other ones that were not AOL. It, it configured your network and you, you dialed in, but the app was just a banner that showed up. It was an advertisement banner that floated over your desktop for while you're connected to the internet. And on the Mac at the time, what you could do is you could use this application called ResEdit, which was Resource Editor. And you would go into an application, and an application at the time had a, a thing that we called the Resource Fork. And you would open it up, and ResEdit was just a hex editor. And you would go and find a specific set of uh, bytes, I guess, in the um, in the hex, and you would delete them. And that was the uh, the code for showing the banner. So essentially you just deleted the window out of the resource fork of the application. So it was a, a smart way of editing the binary. So in uh, HFS, which is what, uh, what does it stand for? That's a file system. File system joke, hold on, wait a minute. Happy file system. You ready for this? HFS. Um, I don't think you can uh, do the bell before it's funny. What do you mean I can't do the bell before it's funny? Why is it? You got to start doing it so that it's funny when you do it. The bell is like the laugh track. You know to laugh when you hear the no, bell. No, the bell is file system. You, you Every do, time you say file, file system, system, it's a bell. bell. It's the John Syracuse file system bell. BFS. Anyway, so on the file system, Apple's old file system, uh, a given file could have two parts, uh, the data fork and the resource fork. And so what Pierce is describing is you could edit a part of the file that was kind of more designed for editing, um, stored, you know, metadata, stuff like that. And I guess by deleting part of the configuration for what the ad's supposed to be, you just didn't see the ad? That's right, yeah. Uh, Windows uh, NTFS has that today, uh, something called uh, alternate data streams. Um, And so inside, or I guess in the file that stores your Word document, uh, you can just store some other whatever. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because it does not show up in, um, like a directory listing would miss it in calculating how much disk space you were using. Just a fun fact. Something else you can do is you can actually add, well, you could actually add functionality applications at the time doing that too. So you could find a menu item in like, uh, like under file or under window or whatever. You could add your own action if you knew how to put the code in. So you'd compile something else and then take that hex and then just copy and paste it into the application. In the AOL days, that's something some people would do to add actually like extra functionality to window or to AOL. All right. Uh, I've done a little Googling. HFS is the hierarchical file system. Oh yes. Yes. That's what you guessed. And I guess, uh, I guess since HFS, there was HFS plus, which I think is what everybody smacks used until last up year until APFS. Maybe it was two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so and, and I confirmed that the NTFS feature is called alternate data streams. Hmm. We'll put some links in the show notes to how to use them. Can you put the full specification for the file system in the links? I'll put probably links to Wikipedia. That seems to be the level at which we provide links, unless we have a particular thing we want to link to. What about the RFC? So, Pierce, if you send me a link to some, you know, specification document, uh, I will consider linking to it. Okay. Can you link to it? I haven't received it yet, so No. We'll see. Check your spam folder. Uh, I, I have a rule that puts all of your email in my spam folder, Pierce. That's messed up. The good news is we don't really send a lot of email to each other. So 
that's not a big problem. Well, how would you know? Oh, because it's always going to the spam folder. You're right. I'm sorry. Are you sending me a lot of email that I'm not getting back to you about? I just assumed you weren't responding. Oh, but you don't ask, do you ask the same questions in other modes of communication? No, it's just fostering resent. It's just, it's, it's just going, going unanswered. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take a personal uh, improvement goal uh, for the next week to uh, make sure that I'm replying to all of your email in a timely, timely manner. Most of the subjects are about uh, buying pills online and that sort of stuff. Oh, you, you're the person who sends me those emails. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> Be sure to click the links. They'll, they'll help you. All right. Uh, I, we, do, we do. Do you want to talk about anything else about WWDC? I haven't watched any of the videos, honestly. That's a lot. I've watched some of the developer videos, and I actually do like the online format better. It seems more genuine. It seems more of a service to the developers that are serving Apple. Not to charge everyone, I don't know how much a ticket costs these days, $1,600 or you know, $1,800. Something like that, maybe. Yeah, to produce a like even better product that's even more concise and maybe more direct and just overall better product than to have people in person. Well, I think I, I saw a lot of people saying that they enjoyed the the change in format in that it allowed the session lengths to be whatever length they needed to be. So it's kind of like not making all TV shows, you know, twenty two or forty two minutes, right? If if you're if you're not on network television, you can you can make your show fifty minutes, an hour and ten minutes, and and so I think there were apparently some uh, sessions uh, in the WWDC videos, you know, that were you know less than fifteen minutes because that's just how long they should be. So that that is kind of neat that uh, you know you wouldn't have to pad that out or just not offer that session because it didn't fit the scheduling plan. Um, so I guess that's nice. I mean, I miss traveling to California. Yeah, I do really miss the actual atmosphere of it. WWDC is a lot of fun, even though every time I'm there, I feel very obligated to see every single session I can. I, I've not suffered quite the same level of, of concern um, with perfect attendance. But I mean, I, you know, you'd go to things that were just, you know, on the edge of your interest or like it was it was nice to just because it's not something... You know, in in our job, Pierce, um, for the most part, we don't get to do cool iOS applications all day long. So, you know, seeing seeing a different side of development is kind of nice sometimes. Something that I'm wondering about is where they're going with all the augmented reality stuff. I, I don't see the big picture. I don't know how. Wait, hold on. Are you holding your iPad up in front of you and looking through it? Because then you could see it. That's exactly what I mean. I don't know how Mary is going to actually do an AR. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it for myself and I'm a nerd too. I don't know. When you see some of the, you know, the demos about like, uh, kind of labeling things in your environment, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the killer feature that I'd love in my contact lenses. Remember trade magazines, Pierce? Oh, do Where I? you had to like fill out this giant survey about like how many computers you purchase for your company and how important you are. And if you could, make the advertisers believe that, you know, your budget was sufficient, they'd send you this tabloid size magazine. Oh, I love those things. Anyway, so I remember in in one of these magazines, there was a, an ad and it just, it was a picture of a, stri- a busy street scene, uh, but overlaid all on top of the picture were all, you know, like a directional arrow and call outs about, you know, and this is, this has got to be 20 some years ago. Maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. 
you know, across, you know, if you look down the side of the street, you know, over all the storefronts, it would have, I don't know, something like a Yelp review on top of it or something. I feel like this is a very Microsoft like surface product. Do you remember the original surface where they showed people playing with like an Atari table? That was just a big sheet of glass and you put your phone on it and it like recognized your phone was on the table and then it like recommended things based on how your phone was on the table. <laughs> Do you vaguely remember this? This this like that idea sounds very much like a Microsoft reality. I can remember pictures of people using a giant like um like easel sized table um you know that was a, a Microsoft Surface computer. But th- this this was like if you were driving a car or whatever and you'd look look out the windshield and you'd see all this information around you. I think that's where you know, augmented reality can be valuable. Imagine being at like some business meeting, you know, and all these people you're supposed to know or remember, you know, right. And if everybody had the name tag floating over their head or, you know, superimposed, you know, um, you know, where you would wear a, you know, a sticker name tag, like on your shoulder or whatever. I think, you know, that's, that's valuable without being, if you don't have to wear the HoloLens like helmet, you know, that's pretty cool. I think the problem is that people aren't going to wear and want to wear a helmet uh, unless they're playing a video game and it's VR. So I guess, how do you bridge, you know, I mean, maybe some video games would be great to play in VR, um, depending on how much you're expected to like move around. Um, every video game that I've played that I've enjoyed, you know, you're climbing up over things or running or, or whatever. So I can't fit all that in my, in the basement where I watch television. So it'd have to be like a, game where you just stand there and look around and, and and that's even that's even with vr so with augmented reality you know i you know i think it really has to be you're looking through your ipad like it's a portal to you know you're seeing another world by by pointing the ipad camera at something and and looking at the ipad screen because until we have something that's like google glass but less dorky looking <laughs> i just don't know how it's going to work I worry, though, that the AR revolution is going to introduce extreme creepiness. Like, the the ability to tag people based on facial recognition is something that I'm not ready for. That seems extremely stalkerish. Oh, you mean in my in my cocktail party scenario or whatever, where where I, you know, I see your face and then the computer sees your face and tells me it's Pierce. Yeah, that's not something I I'm not ready for. Well, that hold on, that could happen all in, in the Apple parlance. That's all going to happen on device. I'm going to have a contact entry for you, and maybe I assigned it. You know, I chose, or maybe in, you know, I guess now in iMessage you can nominate your own picture, right? So it's not the picture I took from your Twitter account and put on you know, your address book entry, it's whatever you decided your picture should look like. Anyway, so if we have some relationship already, then it's totally reasonable that my phone could recognize you. And all that processing could happen on the phone. My, my concern is once Apple opens a store, that door is open and other companies who are not as good of actors, they have a place to go. Like imagine a Facebook or maybe Google offer this technology. Google unless concerned about. Google's been very questionable in terms of privacy, but they've overall been good actors about it. They haven't been doing any incredibly shady stuff. But so my, my where I'm going with this is another company has the same technology. They don't have the sort of, um, you know, ethics that maybe Apple claims they have, but an, someone outside of your control 
could be using their glasses and tag you at X, Y, and Z, and now you're another mark in their, their product range, right? And you've already uploaded your photos to like, say Facebook. Like Facebook's a great example. You've, you've introduced a training set on who you are to Facebook. You're gonna, be, like, you're gonna be detected and picked up and potentially tracked based on someone else that you have no control over. That, that's weird, that's crazy. Well, it's like um, I, Facebook has some feature where uh, someone can't tag you in a photo until you approve it. But you're still a shadow account at that part. At that point, yeah. Oh well, face, Facebook knows, right? But uh, Facebook, I mean, Facebook is doing some unfortunate things with our data. But Facebook would know where I was, even though I didn't acknowledge that publicly, like to the internet. Yes. Facebook would know I was there because somebody else who saw me, if they, you know, magically through computers or manually, they annotated the picture and said I was there, right? So they can use that information to send advertisers at me, even if I don't publicly say I was there. That's why I just don't pay any attention to any advertising, Pierce. Advertising doesn't work on me. Does it? Uh, not not targeted advertisement. I seek out the things I want to obsess about and spend too much money on. So your Instagram doesn't have giant like helicopter hook uh, carabiners? Uh, no, no, I don't think it does. Of course, I, I use Instagram for so few people. Like you know, you know, I don't I don't follow a thousand people on Instagram like I think you're supposed to. You know, Facebook's Instagram ownership is not very effective. Oh, I, I definitely follow very few people. So I was counting today. Every four posts you see on uh, Instagram is an ad. Oh, well, I don't, I don't think I see four posts a day, Pierce. So you need to follow less. And the other thing is I only follow one famous person. Who's the famous person? Is it Claire? It is Claire. I think maybe that's the problem. If you, if you only follow people you know in real life, you know, those people aren't producing that many ads for you, I guess. So the, really the only place I see ads is, you know, in the, what are they called? Moments, stories, sto- whatever, you know, the ephemeral posts. So if you if you look through those, like at the end of those or in between those, between people or whatever, uh, I'll see an ad. But that's the only time. And I can't tell you what those ads are for. Oh, I have, I have a real problem with these ads. Because you keep buying stuff from them? No, no, I don't buy. Instagram has no idea who I am demographically, even though I have a Facebook account and everything. So I'll see an ad and it's completely ridiculous. And I click it just to see why this is being advertised to me. And then that suggests a new crazy ad. So I click the next one and I just get into like a death spiral clicking like crazy ads. Well, just don't don't click. Clicking shows interest. I have to. I have to. Like, Be strong. Don't click. So now I get all sorts of ads it's like a combination of like body armor weird athletic equipment it's like it's all over the place they think i'm probably like the most masculine like crossfit gun nerd like imaginable and that is not someone i really am i think the fit maybe maybe is the only one of those words that applies i'll get concealed carry purse ads so like somewhere i cross the streams (laughs) So it also th- thinks you're a woman or at least a, a man who likes to a European man bag. I, I don't know. Like, I know I can go in and I think there's a setting to show all the things it thinks you are and say yes or no. It's so not targeted for me at this point that it really is showing that Facebook and Instagram's algorithm ads really are just tallying what you click on. There's no real rhyme or reason. There's no algorithm. It's just throwing shit at the wall. No, there's an algorithm, but it doesn't have the only data point it's getting is your bad clicks, I guess. Yeah, I, that's that's no more advanced than anything else that's existed since 2005 or since Google Analytics really took off. Well, maybe you, maybe it's, you just don't fit the model, right? 
They don't care if you don't fit the model if like 85% of everybody else does. They can afford to have it not work for you. So the theory I have is maybe the model works because most people are not willing to click links that they don't agree with. And based on geopolitical climate, I think that is a fitting theory to the, uh, you know, the empirical data that I'm seeing. Oh, so that keeps you in your bubble. You won't click on content that doesn't reinforce your views. So it's easy for them to keep giving you content that does. I, I think that's right. I think that's why Facebook groups are so prevalent, like especially the insidious ones, right? Well, here's a, th- here's a question. Why, why do people want to be in a Facebook group? I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm not in any Facebook groups except for the Facebook group I created for my trivia team, right? That's the only Facebook group I'm in. Do you participate in it? Uh, well, we used to post like pictures of the trivia quizzes just for documentation, or we might talk about like scheduling, but no, I mean, well, we haven't done it in months, so. Oh shit, got real. Well, no, because, because of the, the, you know, the virus, everybody's home. We're not going to trivia. What virus? Uh, SARS-CoV-2. What? S-A-R-S-C-O-V-2. Also causes a disease called COVID-19. Is that new? No, it was first discovered in 2019. Oh. So I, I think uh, November, December of last year is when we first saw saw this uh, disease. Should I stop going to my pool parties? You should not go to pool parties. Now is not the time. What about the beach? Uh, I wouldn't advise the beach either. No, you really you don't want to be anywhere where there are a lot of other people. What about my uh, trip to Disney? Uh, I would definitely postpone that. Sorry, very insensitive, but that's the world we live in. What that you should postpone going to Disney? No, I think that's just that's reality. The only way I'm coping with uh, our current situation that to me is weighing very heavily on me, the idea that we're where we are is so depressing. I just need to figure out some way to make sense of it and laughing inappropriately is the wrong, like the wrong thing to do. It's just, it's just, it's just a form of self-care Pierce. That's important too. No, no. Today, um, Florida of all things posted the largest, uh, single day increase, I believe. Was it any state or was it just Florida? It was 9,000 people today. Was this, it was the largest single day reported positive cases. Yeah. For a state. In, your, your question is, is it, is that the largest in Florida on any day, or is it the largest in the United States in any day? In the United States, yeah. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of our uh, statistics tracking listeners might uh, might be able to provide some feedback about that. Today we recorded the most cases uh, in a single day for the, all the United States, which was over forty thousand, which is mind-boggling. Yeah. Now those forty thousand people haven't been killed by the disease yet right they're at least sick because of it so we don't know what the survival rate will be for that you know large number of people but it's still not a good thing if it's if we're not if we don't have a solution um and by that i mean um a preventative vaccine or um, treatment for it well we don't yeah we don't have a specific therapy i don't know they put you in a ventilator so you you know continue to you know live when your lungs aren't working correctly, you know, that doesn't always work. So, and I think that, you know, I think one of the, some of the things I've been talking about, this is getting very depressing, Pierce. Some of the things they're talking about is that the population that is uh, testing positive now is skewing younger, right? So I think initially what we used to, I don't, I don't want to say used to, you know, just a few months ago, we used to talk about, you know, the most vulnerable demographics, you know, being older people or people who are already sick or immunocompromised or what have you. And so people thought, oh, I'm 25. I'm, you know, whatever. 
I'm not going to get sick. And, um, and now we're seeing more, uh, more illness, more positive cases in, in younger people. And it might be that those younger people are, uh, their body's more resilient and they might survive, but there are some long-term side effects that we don't fully understand yet. I think people are seeing, I don't know if long-term is the right word, but like sustained damage to, to their respiratory systems and stuff. And it's going to be some time before we really know the long-term effects. So the trick here is to not be exposed to the virus. And in order to do that, you should not be with a lot of people. And when you are in the vicinity of people, you should be wearing your mask. You know what, speaking of that, the one good thing I've done in the last four months, three three months, four months, is um, every day when we walk into our building, there's a woman that sits at the desk and she's like the mo- one of the most delightful women. And she just always comments on like, she's like, oh, cool sunglasses, whatever. I walked in, I was wearing a, a new mask and she goes, oh my goodness, where'd you get that mask? That's the coolest mask I've ever seen. I'm like, that's the coolest thing to hear or is someone complimenting your your dork mask? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know. My wife got it for me. So I, I made Mary uh, go and order some more. You asked Mary. Yeah, yeah. I asked Mary very... Uh, I demanded it from her in an asking sense. That's, that's not true. I said, I, I told the whole story. I was like, hey, I have this casual conversation with this familiar stranger every morning and she asked me about the mask and she's always wearing just like the standard issue you know medical mask and she commented i was like oh it'd be cool to drop it off at the desk one day and i hadn't seen her uh for a few days this week and finally i guess yesterday i saw her and i caught her off guard because i was like hey i have something for you and she goes what i just put the mask <laughs> on the desk and she's like that is the coolest thing i've ever seen i'm like that's not true at all i hope <laughs> <laughs> you know that that little of interaction and the limited amount of human interaction i've had in what is it 14 weeks now i have no idea i, I you, same here i don't know when uh we started uh, uh showing some concern for this um did you did you get a chance to see her did you see her later in the day was she had she switched to your your mask or she said she would maybe she was going to take it home and wash it i was going to say i recommend you wash that but she said she was going to wear it immediately I was like, you know, putting a mask on from an almost stranger immediately onto your face, maybe not the best move, but I was flattered. Like, all things considered, I, I that was one of the few things that I've gotten a little bit of joy out of, seeing someone smile like that. Well, you know, sometimes it, it's uh, it's nice to do a good thing. So I'm glad you, you had that chance. That's a good story. <sighs> I'm going to try to do more. Maybe one good thing per decade. That's my uh, that's my goal. Uh, so are we? is that in a, like a calendar decade? A Julian decade. This is 2020. So are you done until 2030? I guess either way. Either way, right? My, my little my example here doesn't matter because it's not the middle of the decade. Pierce, do you have a bear problem? What do you think you're going to find when you when you get there tomorrow? What's going to happen to have happened to your trash can? Hopefully nothing. Most likely trash all over a uh, mountainside. Would, would, don't you think it'd be nice if they got into the trash if they actually ate it? Maybe your trash is not 100% appealing. It's frustrating. The, the whole thing's frustrating because the first time a few weeks ago, we drove down to our mountain house. We pull up to the house. I, I prefer the term out, by the way. If you say out, you went out west. We went out west. To the mountain house. It's slightly south. We drove out down. Is that better? Or is it down and out? We're down and out. Kind of like the knight's move in chess. Oh, is that a rook? That's a rook. Over two and down one. No, the rook is the uh, the castle. The rook is the castle. That's correct. Why can that? Why can a castle only go diagonal? I think it should be stationary. No, the, a bishop can only go diagonal. What does a rook do then? Oh no, it goes it goes <laughs> straightwards. It can only go orthogonal wise. Yeah. Okay. So why we? But sorry, no, no, we need to get to the bottom of this. Why can a castle move? <laughs> oh well, this this gets to a YouTube video. 
Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Shut Up, Shut Up and Sit Down, All right. and it's uh, it's about board games. Okay, so Pawn is a little little just peon. I I am by no means an expert in board games. Uh, this channel was recommended to me, and I had I had seen it a few times. But one of the so I guess maybe there are two guys who are mostly in charge of the channel or something. But one of the guys was giving a presentation at a conference, and this must be pre-virus uh, because people were in a room together, and. Uh, he gave a presentation on the, the like the ancient history of board games, and one of the things they talked about was the origins of chess. And so I'm happy to to provide you a link to uh, where they talk about that. But chess chess is an interesting. He talks about how chess is interesting, and it's kind of like moved back and forth around the world. So um, I'm gonna say it originated in Persia. I might get that wrong. Uh, but you know, as it moved, you know into Europe and then into Asia and back and whatever the, the names for the pieces and how they were, you know, how they were designed has changed over time. And I guess actually what the pieces were able to do, but I'm sure it covers why a castle, which probably wasn't always called that because it's not called a castle. It's called a rook. It just looks like a castle. It's like a turret, I guess. Yeah. Its purpose is to defend the king. The king hides behind it. That's, that's kind of what it does. Couldn't they have like shielded infantry or something? Uh, that's the knight. It gets to move one and then two, or then two and then one. It does a little L. Yeah, but there, there surely was like a king's guard and not like a, a stone tower. No, there's just, there are just two knights. There are just two knights that defend the king. There should be more knights and less pawns. <laughs> no, no, the, no, the, the knight is a very expensive piece and the pawns, you have many of them. That's, that's kind of the thing there. Yeah, but if you had more knights, you could uh, kill more people. Well, no, not necessarily. Can you do the math the right pawns now? pawns move slowly, but they, they can kill just as well. Not from my experience. All right. Okay, let's go back to the cabin. So we've now gone a knight's move, two out and one down. Yes. And you're going to get to the cabin tomorrow, and what are you going to find? You're going to find your trash all over the mountain. Why is that? Because there's an asshole bear. <laughs> what did you... Hold, hold on. Maybe the bear didn't think that you should put your trash there. Maybe you're the asshole. Maybe the bear shouldn't mess with my trash. I was going to say I was going to drop an F-bomb, but I, I held myself back. Uh, I think we're still checking the box. Oh, we're checking the box? Well, maybe the bear we're shouldn't have fucked with my trash. So, but you've, you've, this is not the first time. Well, hold on. We're talking about the potential future. But I think you're concerned about this happening when, or discovering this when you, when you arrive tomorrow. But it's happened at least once before. Yeah, it's happened two times. And the real problem is... Um, what, no, hold on. What what happens? What Where is your trash? What have you done to secure the trash against the bear? Uh, when the bear gets into the trash, what happens? Uh, when the bear gets into the trash, it fucks my shit up. It takes, the, it takes the bag of trash. So our house is on the side of a hill. And it's probably... Oh, shoot. I can't estimate. Maybe 10% gradient, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in terms of, you know, a hill is fairly steep. It's like hands and feet sort of climbing situation on like mossy and, you know, leaf covered rooty area. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to question your 10% then. You think Pierce. 10, you don't, you don't think 10%? If, if you takes hands and knees and it's 10%, you have a, you have a Donald Trump problem. Maybe, maybe, a, a maybe a double 10%, 20%. 20%. So it's like, so that's, um, that's a quarter of 90 degrees. 22 and a half degrees would be a quarter of 90 degrees. Yes. Maybe. So a, a hill that increases in height equally for every you know distance you travel horizontally that would be 45 degrees so if you have to go twice as far into the hill before you go up one unit that would be 22 and a half degrees so would you like to re relabel your 
your hill inclination? You've convinced me on the math. It's 100% inclination. It's 100%. So it is 100%. a... It's, it's it is, a cliff. You're climbing a wall. It's a cliff. You get out of the car and you just throw shit and it goes all the way down to the house. No, it's like a, it's like the scene from Thumb and Louise when we show up. We just go straight over and we get to the house. I'm really impressed that you make it home then. Barely. No, so, I mean, our, our house is recessed on the side of the hill. So there's a hill either above or below. First time we showed up, there was just trash all over our neighbor's side of the hill. Pulling up in the car, I'm like, wow, what what the heck happened here? Someone like, someone really had a, like a bender. And we got to the house. Yeah, some kind of party. We got to the house and the trash can is just on its side. And all the trash that was in the trash can is, is missing. And the problem with that was the week before was, I guess it was Memorial Day. And trash pickup is on Monday morning. Not on Memorial Day. It's, you know, it was Tuesday morning. We left to come back home on, you know, Monday afternoon. So we put the trash before we left in the trash can. So in 15 hours, probably really a realistic window of, you know, the eight hours it was dark here, maybe 10 hours or whatever it is during summer solstice, right? Uh, A bear descended from the hills and pulled the trash out of the trash can and spewed it everywhere. So it, it took 15 minutes to clean up all the plastic and, you know, coffee grounds from everywhere. Well, those are recyclable. You're locally composting those. You don't need to put the coffee grounds back into the trash can. That's the worst part. So because we use a French press, we j- I empty the, the coffee grounds in the trash can. So everything is covered in coffee grounds. So your hands are just covered in dirt and coffee grounds after picking the trash up. Anyway, so this last week, I guess it was Saturday night, we reached critical mass in terms of a... Oh, no. No, it's been three times with the bear. Because when we showed up the week before, on Tuesday, we filled the trash cans. I took the trash out. Wednesday morning, got up, realized the trash can was really scratched. It was scratched to shit. And trash was spewed down spewed down the hill now. We cleaned it up, put it in the back to the trash bags, put it in the trash can. And I put a cinder block on top of the trash can. Go a few a couple days. I'm like, well, I'm not going to put the trash on until we're leaving. Get up Sunday morning. And the cinder block that I put on the trash can is probably four feet away. So the bear scratched the trash can more, frustrated about the lid, and then just eventually bitch slapped the cinder block off four feet away. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really good image. And you can't, you can't see this trash can from the security camera on the front of the house, right? So you don't have any video of this? No, the hill probably obscures 20... There's probably 20 feet of elevation gain from the de- front deck of our house to the road where the trash can is. So, I mean, I, I guess that's that's fairly significant, I think, b- based on the way the stairs are. It's like, I guess, two flights of stairs almost. Right. And I, I'm now thinking about actually putting a tr- like a, another Arlo camera on the tree, pointing down at the trash can, just so at least we get to see the cute animal doing it. <laughs> I love bears. Like, I really do enjoy bears as animals. I think except they're... Except for this one. When he's messing with your trash. I don't blame him for it or her. It's smart. Like this human dummy keeps putting food with like salmon remains into the trash can (laughs) in the woods. (laughs) I don't know what to expect, but we don't have anything else to do with it. There's no public dump anywhere near. I'm not going to. Well, there is. It's just it's just your yard. It's all over your yard. The bear is just helping you get it there. That's right. So the funny thing is um, the third time they got into the trash can. When they, the bear slapped the cinder block off, 
all that was in the trash can at that point was the stuff that the bear had already pulled out and strewn all over the hill and a bunch of like empty cans and bottles. Uh, we don't have recycling. Uh, the bear had no interest in our empty liquor bottles. <laughs> and then once he realized that the, uh, the trash he'd already gone through, that like two bags of trash were just right next to the trash can. He'd moved on. You jerk. At least, at least act like you're going to screw it up. Like just, just make a mess again. I'm going to clean it up anyway. <laughs> just go to town. Party hard. Well, I think so. You're, you're looking at uh, alternative trash cans now. Is that right? Something that might be bear proof. I know you were looking at explosive cabinets. I feel like this is the same market. <laughs> um, actually, if so, I think, audience, um, there are some um, camping supplies mostly that uh, are flammable that I have to store somewhere. And uh, so I have been looking at a flammables cabinet, which is the kind of thing you'd keep in a, in a shop or a chemistry lab or something. Um, and so it's a big double-walled steel cabinet that painted bright orange or sorry yellow and i think it's i don't know with delivery it's at least it's probably a thousand dollars delivered anyway so i've i've put off buying this thing so far uh, because i've lived in the house for over a decade and it hasn't burned down yet so that's not gonna happen anytime soon induction it works what was that induction you know mathematical induction uh, that's that's deduction no induction if the sun came up today it should come up tomorrow I thought you were referring to my stove because the stove is doesn't have an open flame because it, it uses induction. Yeah, I took a, a logical philosophy class freshman year of college. Hardest class I took the entire time because it was a crazy amount of reading. But you got to learn all the uh, logical fallacies and, uh, you know, different types of logical uh, traps you can fall into. So sorry, I continue. See. Oh, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's put some resources in the show notes. Pierce, I'm counting on you to provide those. Anyway, so uh, flammable's cabinet for me. We started looking at uh, possible trash cans for Pierce to use at the mountain house. And the first thing that I found that I really kind of think would be cool is uh, like this double trash can thing for like a permanent installation. It's the kind of thing you'd put in a a park, you know, out west somewhere where there are a lot of bears. But it's got two different trash cans in it because it's got, you know, trash and recycling. Unfortunately, because Pierce... I guess you could bring your recycling home, right? So if you wanted to store it outside until you brought it home, you could use this. We do mostly do that the weeks where we have a particular amount of recycling. This past week, we got a bed frame and we had a lot of cardboard from the bed frame. We just couldn't bring it all home. So You could burn it. Cardboards, you could reuse that. That's a reuse, re- reduce, reuse, and recycle. You can find a second use for it. We could. It's June in, in uh, Virginia, though. Heating is not a situation here. You're going to get that fire pit, and then you're going to need something. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to burn the cleanest, uh, cleanest source of energy we have. Coal? Coal, yeah. Okay, so anyway, this double thing is really cool. looks nice. We need to pour a concrete pad to bolt it to the ground and everything, but I think it was going to be $1,500. But since then, we found kind of what seems to be kind of like a really heavy-duty, you know, your trash company provides this rolling trash can thing. Uh, that same company sells bear-proof trash cans, and I think that's a low, low price of like two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars. No, it was like four hundred dollars or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I think it was three hundred dollars. It was. It was way more than a Rubbermaid trash can should be. In case Mary was listening, I wanted to say it was two fifty. Okay, but how much time do you want to spend cleaning up the bear's yard sale? So, you're investing in a trash can so you have more time yourself. 
What would it cost to what if you paid yourself to pick up that trash? What would that cost, Pierce? Think about that, and then think about how you could buy a trash can once that could last many seasons. It's cost effective. How much can it cost for like a TIG welder? Surely a TIG welder is like four hundred dollars, and then I could have unlimited trash cans. Assuming that the trash cans you were I don't know securing were metal, so if you get a big steel trash can like. Um, what, what is, is it like Back to the Future or something? They run into some trash cans. <laughs> I think those are just regular like 1980s metal trash cans, the aluminum kind. Yeah. You think they're aluminum? Anyway, so what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to get your trash, you're going to put it in a trash can, and you're going to seal, you're going to weld the whole lid on tight. Yeah, just seal the trash in there. And you're going to count on the trash people to like throw the whole thing in a truck and go. So you're spending a new trash can, hermetically sealed, Every week. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a trash bag if you think about it. <laughs> it's really just a trash bag. It's a metal, welded shut trash bag. That's your plan. I feel like I could make a metal trash can that looked very artistic. That was bear proof. But how? Why? What are you going to do that's going to allow you to continue to use it and allow the trash uh, collection people to use it correctly and dump out the trash? Because that still needs to work too, Pierce. It can't be just like, oh, I made an art project. No, no, it's going to be like a... It's going to be like a bear scarecrow. The trash can is going to look like a bear on its hind legs, like full on like <laughs> raw. And you open its stomach up and that's where you put the trash. Oh, okay. So if a bear was willing to gut another metal bear to get at the trash, that would work. No, no, it's not going to gut it. They don't gut their own people. Uh, I don't know what what the rates of bear cannibalism are. You wouldn't want to see it. I can imagine bears fighting and hurting each other and, you know, causing causing some, you know, Torso damage. Oh, I did just see a video of a, a bear fighting a buffalo in Yosemite National Park. That was actually very shocking. Okay. I would think that they'd be so big that they'd stay away from each other. I guess the bear was hungry. I think that's right. And the buffalo held its own for a while. We really thought it was going to go in the bear's favor, for, or the uh, buffalo's favor for a while. Did not. They're not mobile enough. They're, they, they're not flexible enough to turn around fast enough. And bears are just... The buffalo, that is. That's right. But they can stampede and run. Was it cornered somewhere? I don't know. No, I think the buffalo's strength really is in numbers. A stampede of one buffalo is only, you know, it's only effective. So the question is, what's the land speed? of What kind of bears do we have in Yosemite? It's a brown bear or a black bear? Grizzly. It was Grizzly a, bear. Is that with a Z or an S? Double Z. Apparently with two Zs. Think ZZ top, but a bear. Mm, okay. Sharp dressed bear. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Thanks, Google. It clearly says grizzly bear speed MPH. And Google's recommended answer is polar bear, 25 miles per hour. That's not a, that's not a grizzly, though. No, that is not a grizzly bear. <laughs> what is this? It's so weird. All right, this, this webpage is interesting. We're definitely going to have to have a link to this. So it's speedofanimals.com. <laughs> that's very specific. It says grizzly bear. Its length has nothing to do with the speed. is 8 feet 2 inches. Its weight is 551.2 pounds. It's top speed running. Well, maybe you're measuring the um, relative speed per length of the animal, like the actual change in speed. Well, we, we kind of get there because it's <laughs> top speed running is 34.8 miles per hour. And it has, you know, like the weather has like a feels like a grizzly bear has a feels like speed of 25.1 miles per hour. <laughs> what has the fastest feel speed? Is it cheetah? Why does it want my height? <laughs> What's your speed? <laughs> Oh, I think the feels like speed is relative to my height. Okay, so I think they're, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, if... But that's weird. The le- the bear's legs are not eight. Why would your height play any... Oh, okay. So I guess they're measuring the like the, the, the hind foot 
to shoulder height. Yeah, but to compare that by, to a biped is weird. They're going to have to calculate your average gait, which is not really dependent on your length. Well, anyway, so if I cha- if I adjust it to be my f- height of five foot six inches, it says the feels like speed is twenty three point four miles an hour. So I guess I have to run. 23.4 miles per hour. What, what is it for me? Based on my frame size or whatever to to replicate a bear's amazing running speed. Put some put a 65 in there. See what see what we get. Oh, for you. Okay. So, 27.3. I would have thought it would have gone down. So, I'm dead. Oh, because you can't outrun the bear? <laughs> I guess that's why it matters, right? I don't know. I think you're a little more plausible at 23. You probably can run 20 miles an hour in a sprint, right? We need we need to invert that. So my fastest speed, running pace conversion chart. Sure. Is it actually a chart? It's actually a chart. Uh, minutes per mile. That's the number I care about. All right. The fastest I've ever run, Pierce, God, well, we have to add, it's a second difference or something, is... 12.3 miles per hour. That can't be true. For a mile, yeah. I mean, not. I could pr- maybe run 100 meters faster, but if you want me to run a mile, the fastest I've ever run a mile was at 12.3 miles per hour. No, no, but like if you if you were sprinting away from a bear, I think you could peak over 20 miles an hour. Oh, so you exp- uh, the bear has to tire before we finish the mile? We're not talking about a mile. We're just talking about getting away. Okay, but the bear might have some stamina too. This is the best number I have for you. I can't tell you what my 100 meter time is. That's what I'm saying. We need to fix that. Okay, well, we'll go out to a track and, and I guess practice a while before I take a measurement. Well, that's for follow-up. <sighs> it would be for follow-up. I think you can do it. I, I believe you can do do over 20. Well, why don't you just tell me what that 100 meter time is and, and I'll see if I can do that this week. For a bear? This coming week. No, for me, just 20 miles per hour. How how long does it take to go 100 meters if your land speed is 20 miles per hour? You work on that math while I figure out how fast your your buffalo is. It says you have to run your 100 meters in two seconds. That's not happening. <laughs> Just, just FYI. So you're saying you're faster than Usain Bolt? No, I just said I'm not doing that. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a different website, right? So how do we know? 35, 35 miles an hour for a bison. So they're evenly matched in their running speed, according to these two disparate websites. I think the um, the bear is just more agile. I, I think they're more dexterous in their limb usage. And they're just a, a fiercer competitor. Yeah, I, I, they have more dexterity for sure. And they're darn cuter. Oh, I don't know. I think... It, you know, this picture of a this is not a non-cute animal. Would you rather would you rather hug a bison or a bear? Um would I rather hug a bison or a bear? I think the hugging the bison would be much more survivable. Oh, like a domesticated bear? So it's tr- it's raised in a zoo, so it's a it's a um I don't know, domesticated bear? No, like a house bear. <sighs> a house bear. I mean, I don't know, bear cubs are certainly cute. I I won't deny that. But that's the end of my bear story. Well, we'll, ha- we'll have to see what kind of trash can you get. I actually am going to end up eventually ordering one of the metal ones, but no one else in our neighborhood has one. What do you mean, one of the, one of the fancy ones? We're going to pour some concrete and everything? I don't know if we need to do that necessarily. I mean, the bear could knock it down the hill and you're not going to want to drag this, you know, however heavy it is thing back up the hill. I have never poured concrete, so it might be a good learning experience. You know, a, a two by two slab might not be that difficult to do. I just need to grade it. And I've done that before. Yeah. You know, and I, I think Jeff could maybe give you a hand with that because he had people do that for his pool. I don't know how involved Jeff was with that situation. Uh, that's true. He might have he might have been a supervisor. He was a project manager. It's fitting, yeah. <laughs> it's awfully fitting. 
Did you have anything else, uh, Dave, before we get into your list of YouTube videos for the week? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. If you want a list, I, there was really one that I was going to lobby hard for, but I guess I could come up with two. Uh, one is a little more niche. Niche? Nietzsche. How do you, you want to pronounce that word? It's not Nietzsche. Niche. Niche. Yeah. <laughs> with an S-H. Yeah. So let's go, let's go with the general intro, the more generally accepted topic, uh, and that is uh, cooking. Everybody likes to watch cooking videos. So in the absence of my uh, Bon Appetit YouTube channel being uh, on the air these days, uh, that's a whole problematic story there. YouTube has recommended to me some alternative content that I've really been enjoying. Do you know the, the chef uh, Kenji Lopez? Alt? No, I don't think so. Okay, so he's, um, it's it's uh, James or J Kenji, K-E-N-J-I, J-I Lopez dash A-L-T. Uh, and apparently he and his wife, when they got married, they hyphenated their last name. Oh, that's cool. That's why his name is that way. Uh, anyway, so he's, uh, he's kind of a dorky guy. You know, maybe that's why I can relate. But he's, uh, he went to MIT. He talks about like science and stuff when he's cooking. But Pierce, I think you would really like it because, and I, I haven't watched his whole back catalog or what have you, but he's like the videos that he's producing these days, it's it's a few a week. You know, he's at home in uh, California in quarantine, uh, like everybody should still be. And he films the video, like, I think there has to be very little editing. Like sometimes like his daughter will like yell and need help or something. So, you know, he'll pause the video and come back or whatever. But other than that, it seems very low in the editing and he's doing it all wearing a GoPro in his head. So, uh, it's really, it's like this point of view, uh, experience where, you know, he like holds the GoPro in his hand and like faces it when he like introduces the video. I don't know how he's, he's got this really coordinated way of like switching from holding it in his hand, like with the camera facing him where he says, hi, I'm Kenji. And today we're going to do whatever. And then in this, like, one smooth motion, he moves the camera to some, like, headband or something that's attached to his head and snaps it in place, and then he just goes about cooking or whatever he's going to be doing. You don't think it's a clever editing with two cameras where he uses the camera on his in his hand and moves it up to the one in his head and edits them together? Uh, I challenge you to watch a video and tell me what you think. Oh, challenge accepted. Sometimes he's doing it late at night, his family's gone to bed, and he's kind of quiet in the kitchen, and he's, you know trying not to make a lot of noise and the YouTube comments are like, Hey, you were really quiet except for that one time you made a hell of a lot of noise, but I don't know. His personality is fun. He's, I've watched some videos where he's doing stuff in the grill in the backyard. He's got like a pizza oven out there. It's all very exciting. Uh, so I think it's, it's aspirational, uh, in some of the things that you could be doing, um, as you outfit your outdoor cooking for the rest of the summer. All right. What's your number two? So my other, my other YouTube video channel, and this is something that I've, I've watched for a while. So I have a only somewhat actualized hobby in model trains and in, and I guess YouTube catching on to that. There are tons of people on YouTube who make videos about their model railroading, uh, but there's this one guy in Australia. And so this kind of ties into our Bo Miles thing and that like, Hey, it's another person on the planet on a continent called Australia that that's on YouTube. And this guy named, uh, I think his name is Luke Tal Talwin. I'm not sure I got his last name right, but he has a YouTube channel called the Boulder Creek Railroad or whatever. And it's not so much, it's not so much about the, like the model trains on his channel. It's about these amazingly impressive dioramas or landscaping elements. Is the name of his channel named after uh, Boulder Creek, Colorado? Is that the essence of what, what the situation is? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'll get you a link so you can see the logo 
uh, if you can't Google while I continue to talk about it. Anyway, he's he's uh, he's Australian, so he's a fun accent. But the, the the level of detail and the skill. Can you do one? Can I imitate him? Yeah, can you finish the the segment off with an Australian accent? No, I'm not going to do that. That'd be inappropriate. Would it? I, I think so. So anyway, so it's it's just amazing. Like the video that I watched after work today, uh, he built, you know, this bridge, which he you know laser cut all the materials for the bridge, and assembled them, and he built you know the bridge abutments out of like styrofoam and stuff, and he you know it's a bridge over water, and so. I don't know. It's, it's all, it's just very impressive. It makes me wish that I had space to like set up a train permanently where I could actually have three dimensional things that I invested time in. Something to strive for. I have some, yeah, that's right. When I, when I build the the house with a lazy river, we'll be sure to have plenty of space for the trains. Anyway, so cooking, uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt and, uh, Luke Tawin, I think, uh, with the, uh, the model railroad. Australian train dude. Yeah. Did you, did you want to, you know, chill for any uh youtubers you know i'm i feel like i'm in between things i go in phases in youtube where i I binge watch like a certain contributor and i get to the end and i'm like well what's next and i i feel like the recommendation engine is just throwing me off in the wrong directions right now and i i'm just uninspired in general so i don't really have anything else to add okay well i hope uh all of our listeners are uh healthy staying safe until next time. We've gone on for quite a while. We have. This is going to be a good editing opportunity for you, maybe. It'll, it'll take uh, more than a few days. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll take a while for you to upload it, even if, uh, if it was ready immediately. That's true. All right. Good talking to you. All right. So you want to call it? Let's call it. Thanks. See you guys. Bye-bye.